This episode is brought to you by Vanta. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, and more. Learn how by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com WSJ. Something strange is happening in the stock market. Even as jobless claims mount, investors have gotten increasingly optimistic. Stocks are up nearly 30% since late March. That's over a period in which nearly 26 million Americans have lost their jobs. Investors seem to be responding to Congress's aggressive attempts to protect the economy. But Barron's economics writer, Matthew Klein, says lawmakers actually haven't done nearly enough. I'm Alex Yule, and you're listening to The Readback. This week, Matt joins us to talk about where he thinks the government has gone wrong. Hey, Matt. Hey, Alex. How are you? I'm doing all right. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So the stock market has soared in the last month, despite the terrible headlines. Can we take this to mean that the government's stimulus efforts are working? I think it's fair to say that investors believe that the government's measures have been helpful. And certainly compared to what one might have expected before any legislation was passed and before the Fed announcing new programs, I think it's fair to say the outlook has improved from there. But I also suspect that there are other factors at work and maybe there's just overall optimism about the pace at which we will end up recovering from the virus crisis. People in general, both stock market investors and sort of regular consumers, there's a pretty broad consensus, right or wrong, that things will get back to normal pretty quickly. And if you believe that, then, you know, if you have a few quarters that are quite poor for earnings, that should be offset by, you know, the discounted value of all the future cash flows that are pretty good. And so that would make sense that the stock market's recovered as quickly as it has. Okay, so we're in this position where as bad as things are looking for consumers and many people out there, for some reason, even those consumers are saying, you know what, we're still confident for the future. We think this is a temporary moment. And down the road, we're going to go back to doing what we did before. That's right. So if you look at an article that I wrote about this last week, for example, the University of Michigan's Consumer Sentiment Survey, the expectations for the future that Americans have right now are basically the same that they had at the beginning of 2014, which you know actually is pretty good, I think, all things considered. Their estimates of current conditions are what they were in 2009, which obviously is a lot worse. That was the Great Recession. That's right. That was the trough. So there's a pretty big disconnect there. And you don't see disconnects that large very frequently. Usually in the past, when you've seen them, um, they've been at the troughs of recessions, their turning points. And so people are actually correct that as bad as things are now, they're going to improve. The big question is whether that's the case now or whether this is a you know, a misunderstanding about the, the outlook. Okay. From there, let's get into the government's role. I, I, we hear a lot about stimulus, right? I mean, can you define the stimulus as it relates to coronavirus for us? Sure. So I'm not sure stimulus in this case is actually the right word. I know that's what a lot of people have used. But I mean, stimulus traditionally is people aren't spending and we're going to give them money to spend or the government is going to spend on their behalf. That's not what's happening now for the most part. For now, the most part is it's some kind of, you know, income support. There's a little bit of stimulus insofar as there's money for hospitals, but mostly it's just trying to give people some money to offset the money they're losing. And quite frankly, it's not enough. And it's come in lots of pieces though, right? That's right. It's coming in several different forms. So there are direct payments to households. Some Americans woke up Monday morning $1,200 richer with the first wave of stimulus checks already showing up in people's bank accounts. So basically, if you made 
below the 80th percentile of income in 2019, based on your taxes, you're eligible to get a one-time payment. It's not clear how useful that is because, you know, a lot of people have lost their jobs since then. So people who might have been making above the threshold in 2019 are now making zero, so they probably benefit. But regardless, that's that's one form of support. Okay. There's an enhanced unemployment benefit package. Right now, 12 million Americans are receiving unemployment benefits. It's a record number, more than twice the worst that we saw back in 2009. Unemployment benefits are normally paid by the states. And then if the state unemployment trust funds run out of money, they can borrow at zero interest rate from the U.S. Treasury. This is essentially more money to help the states out and to also boost the total payment for the unemployed so that it is essentially equal to about the median income for a worker. So the replacement rate, if you lose your job, is now much higher than it was before. And and for low-wage workers, it's actually greater than your income before, but it's time-limited. And so, of course, that only works, though, for people who have lost their jobs. Right. You have to lose your job. And also, it only ex- currently, it only lasts into the, like the middle of summer. So in theory, it could be extended. But right now, it's only for a couple of months. Okay. And the other big package, probably the, the biggest component overall is support for businesses. And that co- takes two basic forms, one of which is uh, loan guarantees for small to medium businesses. It's called the Paycheck Protection Program, PPP. The Paycheck Protection Program is to help keep employees on payroll and small businesses open. This relief will help stabilize the small business sector by providing businesses with the financial resources they need to keep their workers employed and keep up with their day-to-day operating expenses. The idea there is that the Small Business Administration is willing to take the credit risk of bank loans to businesses below a certain size. And if those establishments use the bulk of the money to keep people employed or they rehire people within a certain time frame, the loans are forgiven. There are a couple of problems with the way this is structured. One is that there was a fixed amount of loan guarantees. So the demand for this money was vastly in excess of the amount that was allocated. So it ended up running out very quickly. In like days, right? Less. Yeah, like a couple of weeks. New problems this morning for the government's small business bailout program. There were a lot that were shut out of those first rounds of PPP loans. How did that happen where we saw bigger businesses getting them? And in this second round, will the small businesses now be taken care of? The conceptual problem on the government side was we can do this with a fixed amount of money and that ran out and that clearly was not right. They had to re-up it. The other problem was the implementation side, which is that the banks didn't really have the infrastructure or necessarily even the desire to originate this volume of loans, even if the government was helping them out. And so what you saw, especially for the big banks, was that they threw up a lot of roadblocks to businesses actually getting this money. Like you basically had to have had a banking relationship with them like back in February to be eligible. So there are a lot of bottlenecks in a lot of different places that just made it a very, you know, poorly thought through program. And of course, there are very small businesses which don't have great banking relationships. Well, that's right. Exactly. I mean, like basically what ended up happening initially is if you are a subsidiary of a larger organization and you have access to accountants and lawyers and stuff, you can, you're can you more likely to have gotten the money than if you're yeah. just like the local restaurant. Which is probably not what the politicians intended. No, I mean... That's exactly. I mean, like, if the goal is to preserve employment, it doesn't really matter. Like saying that, oh, it's only the deserving should get it, I think is also, you know, that's going to be a recipe for problems as well. But if only, you know, big chain restaurants or only, you know, a couple of oil drillers are able to get it, then like that that also seems like a problem too. So they've tried to solve this by approving more money, but it's it's probably that's going to be an issue as well. I would I would not be surprised. So these were constraints essentially that were put on the stimulus efforts. That's right. I mean, the basic way to think about it is they had an idea of how much money they wanted to put the government on the hook for and then worked around that. 
And so they said, oh, PPP will guarantee this many dollars of loans. You know, we have this much money to spend on one-time payments. So we're going to put these various constraints on who's eligible and, and we're going to only make it one time and not recurring. We have this much money to put for unemployment. So it's only going to last for this long. And there's also money that was for larger businesses. But again, it was, we have this much money and, and that's it. Despite all these constraints, has this program worked? Are these programs working? So I think compared to the alternative of having done nothing, it's clearly an improvement. And I think that's reflected in the way that markets have reacted. At the same time, like the goal should have been keep people in jobs, keep businesses intact, keep as much of those sort of pre-crisis economic relationships intact so that once the virus is overcome, we can basically get back to where we were. And from that perspective, there's clearly been a massive failure. I mean, we've seen more than 20 million jobs have been lost. I, we don't yet have accurate counts of business failures, but I'm sure we're going to see it's quite high. We already know that the formation rate of new businesses has gone way down. So that's you know an indicator. And, and the damage from all that, there's plenty of economic research into this, is, is quite long lasting. I mean, one way of thinking about this is that if there's any value in having people organized into companies, into businesses, if you destroy those companies and those relationships for you know reasons that aren't really anyone's fault, then everyone is going to become poorer over time because just reconstituting those uh, organizations takes a lot of effort and might not happen. And, and the value that was embedded in those companies is, is going to dissipate. And that's a real tragedy. So spell out for us how it could have been different and maybe how it can still be different. So what would have been the right way to proceed is to think about, you know, what is the nature of this, this shock? You know, in most times, you know, recessions are caused by problems in the economy itself. But this isn't what happened, right? Basically, the economy was, you know, wasn't perfect, but there were, it was it was okay. But then this virus comes out of nowhere, and then people just either are incapable or unwilling to spend money in large sectors of the economy, and that just leads to this massive downward spiral in activity. And it leads to, you know, unchecked, that would lead to a lot of job losses and a lot of business failures. And if you wanted to prevent that from happening, the most straightforward approach is to say, look. You don't actually have to spend the money yourself because you know you don't want to catch a disease that will either kill you or permanently damage your organs or at least have a high risk of doing that. But you know the government, we have a rough sense of how much businesses make. You know the IRS collects taxes, and you know we know what's been over time. We have some baseline estimate of what businesses reasonably could have expected for making money this year, and the government could say something along the lines of, you know what. You just keep doing what you're doing as a business. Don't lay people off. Don't cut pay. And if it turns out your revenues are lower than what you were expecting, you know, we'll cover the gap up to this baseline. And if that had happened, then what you'd see is essentially people who are able to keep selling things like, you know, they would still be making the same amount of money and that's fine. People who weren't, they'd be making the same amount of money. Some people would be saving a lot more because their consumption is temporarily limited and the government would be borrowing more. But sort of the net effect of the economy is we'd all just be you know, sheltering in place from an economic perspective. Yeah, right. So you'd be you'd be working from home and collecting a paycheck from home. Right. Or you wouldn't be working from home, but you wouldn't be having to worry about losing money or anything like that. You, you would not be worse off and your employer wouldn't be worse off. So, so that sounds amazing. And it kind of gets at what like Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell has talked about a little bit in terms of bridging the gap from a good economy to a reopening of a, of a good economy one day. I imagine that you know, the reason this became hard for Congress is that what you're talking about must cost trillions of dollars. So where would that money come from? So I think the question is when you say cost, because we have to think about this relative to the alternatives. And, you know, as, as you said, like the recovery that we are going to expect or should reasonably expect based on what's already happened is going to be significantly worse 
simply by virtue of what's, you know, the job losses and business failures that have already occurred. The restaurants that are probably never going to reopen. Yeah. And not just restaurants. I mean, we're seeing this across the economy. I think it's important to recognize that like the most relatable and understandable thing is restaurants are not, you know, operating as the way they should, but it's actually hitting all sorts of sectors of the economy and not just service sectors, right? Like dentists is an obvious one because that's like, people don't think about dentists in the same way they think about restaurants and barbers, but like they're just as affected. Sure. But this is also flowing through because as I said, everyone's income comes from someone else's spending. So if people at restaurants and people in dentist office aren't earning money, they're not spending, that flows through to hit other people who should be okay. Okay. So I guess the question is, and that sounds pretty pessimistic, can the government still step in and and do one of these sort of safety net type programs? I mean, do you think that's going to happen? I mean... Who knows? And a lot of people who are optimistic, like more optimistic, unlike the, you know, the, the investment bank researchers, they are optimistic in part because they do think there's going to be additional money coming from Congress. And, you know, I have no insight into whether that's going to happen or not. So sure. But even if that is like, this really is a situation where acting quickly and acting early is going to make a real difference. But preventing job losses preventing business failures really is going to be better than waiting for things to happen and then doing more and sort of this slow trickle, uh, even if it feels fast. I mean, as you said, like Congress acted quickly by the standards of Congress, but it acted slowly relative to the unprecedented economic impact of the virus. So, I mean, we can give them some credit, I guess, but at the same time, you know, simply based on what's already occurred, that damage, unless it gets reversed really quickly, which seems unlikely given you know even optimistic forecasts about reopening schedules and so forth that's going to leave a really sustained mark on the economy for like the next decade at least right okay and and so i guess that leaves us with a big question which is investors who do seem fairly optimistic and we've talked about the fact that stocks have come back almost 30% from their march lows do you find reason for optimism still and you know are investors somewhat still getting this right so I'm not qualified to judge whether investors are getting it right. That's, you know, having having briefly worked in the uh, investment side of things, I can tell you it's very hard to second guess what's going on in the markets. I think that we still do, as bad as things have been, as, as, as severe as the early mistakes have been, I think that a lot of the damage can be reversed with a strong enough response now. And I think that definitely should be the priority of trying to either reconstitute businesses that have failed or do everything that is possible to prevent further failures and keep people whole so that we can survive this virus. Fundamentally, the virus is a challenge for public health. The economic challenge is something that we had all the tools to deal with and we still do. So we should be able to you know, be a little more optimistic about what we are capable of doing. Uh, we just have to actually do it. All right. Well, Matt, thanks so much. I think we're going to have to send this episode of The Reback to every member of Congress. And you know, maybe they'll, they'll hear some of the really good points you made. Thanks again for joining us. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you very much for having me. To read Matt Klein's columns on the economy and all of Barron's reporting on COVID-19, check out barrons.com. I'm Alex Yule. The Readback is produced by Meta Lutzhoft and Katie Ferguson. We'll be back next week. This episode is brought to you by Charles Schwab. Decisions made in Washington can affect your portfolio every day. But what policy changes should investors be watching? Washington Wise is an original podcast for investors from Charles Schwab that unpacks the stories making news in Washington and how they may affect your finances and portfolio. Listen at schwab.com slash Washington Wise.